So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello and welcome back to Inside the Mind of Champions. I just wanted to start with some special thanks to our subscribers who turn up to every new episode as soon as it's released. And uh, also thanks so much for everyone that took the time to write in about the Shane Warne episode in the service. My LinkedIn posts have exploded with those kind and touching stories and memories of the King. And all I can say is that he would have absolutely loved that send-off. The way his dad, brother and children spoke was so emotional and inspiring. And the personal tributes from Sir Elton John, Robbie Williams, Coldplay and Ed Sheeran were pure class only Warney could have uh, achieved those kinds of heights. Thanks to everyone who shared that show. It's um, been one of the most popular we've ever produced. And I greatly appreciate you spreading the word and, and leaving the ratings and reviews. It really helps us to grow the show. I even saw that Danny Minogue and one of the All Blacks legends posted the Warney episode to their fans. So that was absolutely great to see and just shows his celebrity appeal, I guess. Well, last week we looked at stress awareness with some powerful reminders about our well-being from Anna Hemmings. And this week it's time for a slight shift in focus. We're going to be digging into the topic of leadership and especially the future of leadership with Professor Tammy Erickson, the American professor and thought leader from London Business School. Tammy's a globally respected expert on the changing workforce, collaboration and innovation. She's conducted extensive research on the changing workforce dynamics and considers elements like generational preferences, hybrid working and the skills of the future and future talent that uh, we need to thrive in our organisations. From a personal perspective, I found Tammy warm, engaging and incredibly generous with her time and insight. Here's a taste of what's in today's show. The challenge that leaders face today is changing all the time. We live in a time when there are many unknowns, lots of uncertainty. One piece of advice I'd offer to leaders in this period of kind of ongoing change is to drop the word change. Stop using it. And substitute instead the word experiment. Clearly, I don't teach humans to be agile. What I can teach are organizations to be agile. And the way to be agile as an organization is quite honestly, to own less and plan less. So I have executives come to me and say, 
how can I get these young people to do this boring work for two years? I say, I have no idea. I don't think you can. Because they want to know the work you're asking them to do now is meaningful and challenging. Don't go around saying, I want you to be collaborative. Okay, that's a no-no. Because that just frankly is a very vague statement. Basically, leaders today have to be willing to place a bet, put a chip down on the table. You know, there are a lot of options. There are a lot of things happening. And so the sense of how to make choices is very much a leadership function. Okay, there have been big times of great change in the past, and yes, we face one, but come on, get on with it. We've got to pull up our socks and get going here. There's never been a more crucial time for leaders to step forward out of the fog and uncertainty with a rally cry for their teams to keep moving forward. We may not be able to define a five-year roadmap clearly, but we can at least get to the next junction and then see how the terrain looks when we get there. As we've covered several times before, especially in the recent episode 43 called Fear, Trick or Treat, it isn't always our natural response to keep moving forward because one of our primal responses to uncertainty and change is to freeze. Champions in sport or business have this ability to reframe these moments and see pressure as a privilege. They judge themselves by their readiness to adapt rather than getting stuck. And I was fascinated to hear Tammy's academic insight about how leaders must reframe this period of turbulence into an opportunity to be creative. The challenge that leaders face today is, is changing all the time. Uh, we live in a time when there are many unknowns, lots of uncertainty. Not necessarily the time of greatest change, though. One of my pet peeves is people who go around saying, oh, this is a time of greatest change, which is a little bit of an excuse, frankly. Um, I say, okay, there have been big times of great change in the past, and yes, we face one, but come on, get on with it. We've got to pull up our socks and get going here. So the key question is, what does your organization need to do to excel, to be different. And what happens when you look back in history, and a lot of my work actually is looking at leadership over time, how, what have leaders done in different times? What I find is many leaders stay focused too long on what worked in the past. It's kind of a double down mentality. I'm gonna do more of what worked in the past. Instead of sapping and saying, hey, this gives me a really new opportunity to do things differently. How might I construct a very different business model? And so that ability to step back and think creatively about leadership is, I think, one of the most important skills today. So as we go through Tammy's interview today, we'll hear the personal characteristics that successful leaders will need at this next stage. But to keep this spirit of creativity, I've selected another insight from Tammy, which is very tactical in its application. It's the language we use around change. And Tammy's tip plays another vital role in increasing the speed and momentum in our businesses. One piece of advice I'd offer to leaders in this period of kind of ongoing change is to drop the word change. Stop using it. 
um, and substitute instead the word experiment. I'm a huge believer in creating a culture of experiments. Uh, Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, was quoted as saying that Amazon's success is a direct result of how many experiments they do every year, every month, every week, every day. And I love that sense of ongoingness, the normalness of trying something. And so the more leaders can talk about experiments rather than change, they again switch people into the excitement of discovery. Leaders should walk through their organizations and say, what are you experimenting with today? What are you trying that's new? What did you do last week that was different and what'd you learn? That sense of experimentation and learning has to infuse an organization because we all need to be doing it all the time. And so get rid of the word change. Exit out of your vocabulary and substitute experiment. I can imagine the impact that that would have a leader pulling together diverse squads of talent into innovation hubs to drive improvement. The experiments could be bowlers talking about how to build more pressure in cricket, techies brainstorming a more efficient user journey, or accountants improving a convoluted back-end process and system to save time and frustration. It's like the working units of our teams are being liberated and harnessing their creative energy to propel each division of the business forward. It must be an incredibly uh, liberating and fun place to be. So that's tactical. We can imagine tight feedback loops and testing and learning working really well. But the pandemic has created a seismic change in the way we work. Hybrid working is looking like the favoured operating model for many. And it's how we can get ourselves into a position to adapt to the waves of change proactively as we see them on the horizon. And that's something that we've got to be ready to change and, and make ourselves more agile in the future. So let's hear Tammy's advice on developing that proactive agility. Some of the things that I recommend to leaders about changing their operating model uh, take advantage of this moment that we're in, the technology that we have available. Uh, technology, for example, the costs have dropped dramatically in the past. It's now basically possible to find anyone anytime at almost no cost. So what that means is two things for organizations. One is they should own less, and two is they should plan less. And what I mean by that is they should be less locked in to assets that they own, including full-time employees, and they should be less locked in to long-range plans that they try to follow rotely as the months go by. Bumpers that guide them, yes, but a lot of flexibility is required. Now, the reason that those two things are so important is that's really what builds agility in an organization, which is what they need most now. It's kind of funny being in a business school because I quite often have well-intentioned CEOs send their executives here and say, Tammy, can you teach my people to be agile? Well, that's a little bit of a humorous question, to be frank, because clearly I don't teach humans to be agile. What I can teach are organizations to be agile. 
And the way to be agile as an organization is, quite honestly, to own less and plan less. You leave yourself more options, more flexibility. So the short answer about how do you deal with the change is you figure out where are your areas of greatest uncertainty, because there are some things that we can say even today are pretty well known, but where are the greatest uncertainties? And then in those areas, don't lock yourself in. Build as many options as possible. Networks where you could pull it from different directions depending upon what's required. Uh, options for different places you could rent resources depending upon what ends up being required. Build options into your organization so that your people can exercise agility when they come in contact with a new development. So that seems like great advice for building agility into our organizations. As Tammy says, we're adaptable creatures, but often as our businesses scale, we need more processes, more bureaucracy to protect the status quo and, and long-term commitments to get the lowest and most predictable cost base. But in times of turbulence, the biggest cost might be our inability to flex and adapt quickly enough. So shorter term leases and hiring in consultants and talent may be slightly more expensive in the short term, but it gives us new options to dial up and down our requirements as customer demand or our internal workload and projects peak and wane. So given the changes in operating models and market forces, I asked Tammy the skills she thinks leaders need to thrive in this current context, and her answer was just brilliant. The skills that I think a leader needs to have today are one, the skill of being disruptive. I think leaders need to be really disruptive. And by that I mean constantly bringing fresh air into an organization. A leader should be thinking about has my organization been challenged? Have I tipped people just a little bit off center so that they're thinking of things in a new way? Have I been open enough to new ideas? Have I encouraged you know, conflict and debate, healthy conflict and debate? Have I sent people out to see new things? Have I brought crazy things in to challenge my organization? The second skill is about asking intriguing questions. I've found from watching great leaders over time is they all ask more questions than they give instructions. Great questions tend to have a how might we element to them. They're about imagination. How might this technology affect the way our customers want to receive our services? How might we use this particular trend to bring greater value? How might we? Those are the kind of questions leaders should be asking. The third skill is a little bit like being a social director, quite honestly. Leaders need to be connectors. They need to be always thinking about the connections within their organization. Not to them, per se, not that everybody should come in through me, but do these people work well together? And how do I make people have more trusted relationships? The fourth one is they need to be able to translate purpose into delivered experience. There's no question about that in my mind. They have to convey a sense of identity. Those four things together, I think, really create an environment that people want to be part of. The fifth thing is a little different. And 
basically, leaders today have to be willing to place a bet, put a chip down on the table. You know, there are a lot of options. There are a lot of things happening. And so the sense of how to make choices is very much a leadership function. I did some work looking at what AI will take on for us, and AI is going to take on a lot of our work. But their AI will not take on that nuance of, out of all the options that we could do, which one do we want to bet on? So let's consider those five factors in turn. The first was to be disruptive, to think like an outsider. Even if we've been in our own business for five or 10 or 20 years, the current context is likely to be very different. So we need to challenge those old assumptions, that inherited thinking and those biases to think more creatively. I loved her second point about unlocking curiosity by asking provocative questions. I've seen the world's best sports coaches do this as well. It motivates the team to solve the problem to have to consider diverse inputs and come to a new conclusion. Questions really are the secret weapon for leaders. And when a leader can identify and bring diverse thinkers together, new solutions are inevitable. Then the final two are around being able to link the tactics and daily performance and efforts that everyone's putting in into the overarching and enduring purpose. And this really gives context and meaning for everyone in the organisation so that they can see the importance of their role. And then finally, that need to be courageous and take some calculated risks. This allows us to keep moving forward. And from there, we can check our progress and change tack if needed. Because the culture is testing and learning and sharing feedback up and down through the organisation, though, we're less likely to make big blunders. We're not reliant on one iconic boss. We're all driving forward imperfectly towards better outcomes and learning as we go. I know we've got lots of aspiring leaders and HR and L&D folk listening to the show. And I just wanted to take this opportunity to let you know that Sporting Edge's flagship leadership programme is kicking off again on the 9th of May. And we run this every quarter. We designed the Winning Mindset for Leaders programme with a range of over 50 SME CEOs and FTSE HR leaders looking at the mindset and behaviours that were going to be critical for the next generation of leaders to thrive. From this research base, we created a flexible 12-week digital coaching programme which features leadership strengths, diagnostics, it helps you to define your leadership style, a series of coaching webinars with myself personally coaching you through the modules and your own organisational challenges. I'm on demand and at the end of the phone throughout that uh, period. And we'll also tackle personal leadership, leading diverse and hybrid teams and leading the organisation through change. So it's a really fascinating suite of challenges and skills and, and new techniques that you're going to learn. And when you join, you'll be learning with an amazing group of leaders who will be together and you'll receive our weekly challenges from me um, with a stimulus insight and activities from all these incredible 
100 leaders that we've interviewed in our Sporting Edge Digital Library, the likes of Tammy Erickson, Eddie Jones, Gareth Southgate, Google execs, uh, military leaders and, and neuroscientists. So an incredible faculty, if you like, that are going to be on hand to teach you. It's a truly transformational program that's packed with loads of practical tactics and tips from expert execs. And we've seen great uplift around 20 percent across all the leadership factors in the thousand or so delegates that have been through that program. And one of the leading global energy companies actually enrolled 120 of their high potentials into a recent cohort and got rave reviews. So I'd love you to take a look at this program, the winning mindset for leaders to see if it's the right style for you. And uh, I'd love to have a chat with you and and, uh, see if this works for you to start with us in May. So if you like the sound of it, come over to sportingedge.com, have a look at the digital coaching programs, and it's the winning mindset for leaders that you're looking at. I'll also put a, a link in the show notes so that you can go straight there and it'll really accelerate your leadership skills. So hopefully you can join us, but let's get back to the show. So as we've got people working remotely and arranged in different verticals or silos, the golden question is, how do we get people to collaborate? Now, judging by her answer, I think this wasn't the first time Tammy had been asked this question, and her answer was pure gold. I'm often asked, what's the best way to get organizations to be more collaborative? And uh, research has shown that there are some very specific things you can do, but one I would like to start with is a don't. Don't go around saying, I want you to be collaborative, okay? That's a no-no, because that just frankly is a very vague statement. What leaders should be thinking about is not how do I drive people to be collaborative, but how do I make it easier for them to do it when they as adults decide it's important to do so. My research shows that people only collaborate if the task is challenging and important. Think about that for a minute. If it's not challenging, I already know how to do it, I'll just do it, I should. You don't want me to spend time running around collaborating if I know exactly how to do it. Just get on with it. And two, if it's not important, again, you don't want me to invest the time associated with collaboration. It takes time and energy. So I should just take a shot at it if it's not an important task. So first of all, think about what's important and what's challenging, and those are the things you want people to collaborate on. And then make it easy for them to do it. Make sure they know the people. I'm talking personal relationship with whom they would do the collaboration. Make sure they can find the right people quickly and easily. Uh, Again, collaboration takes time. If I think of an idea that would be beneficial to someone, but I don't know who that person is, and it would take me a long time to find them within this big corporation, I'll just drop it. I'm not gonna do it. So it's gotta be easy, it's gotta be quick. Don't waste their time. There's a funny little trade-off that goes on. If people feel like organizations are wasting their time, they're less likely to invest their time in discretionary activities. So if I feel like you are overwhelming me with unnecessary meetings that don't run to agenda, too much bureaucracy, lots of paperwork, et cetera, my willingness to go out of my way and collaborate with somebody is very, very low. That's gonna really turn me off. So you've gotta deal with that. As leaders, you need to make the roles clear. 
So I collaborate best with people if it's very clear what I'm doing and what they're doing. If it's not clear, if we're both kind of doing the same thing and we're, you know, we're, we're in a big kind of confused state as who's doing what, it's very difficult to collaborate, particularly productively. So leaders should sort those things out. So those are some of the straightforward things that leaders should do to make it easy for people to connect, easy for people to collaborate. But again, don't try to force it to everything. You don't want everyone to collaborate all the time. You'd have absolutely no productivity in your organization if you did. So the key message I took from Tammy there was that we need precision collaboration with clear roles and clear goals. And then it's easy and enticing. So you might already have found your perfect working rhythm with days in the office and working uh, on new products or new brainstorming sessions when you're working together and those face-to-face sessions are perfect for those kind of idea generations but then we also need to drop back into our homework with tech tools like Slack, Yammer, Microsoft Teams or Miro boards where we can still work independently but keep those uh, updates going on a shared uh, platform. Whatever we decide, Tammy's warning will be echoing in our ear that we'll never use the term collaborate as a woolly intention again. Another area that Tammy has researched is the differences in generational groups in our organisations. And I found her explanation about how these personal preferences or cohort preferences and, and differences in outlook came about really, really fascinating. I've done a lot of work looking at people of different age groups in the workforce and people do have different views about what they want from life and the role work plays, the the importance of money or not. Um, And the biggest advice that I give to people is to recognize that all those views are legitimate. It's not like one group's right or one group's wrong. We all have very legitimate views. And the reason is our views were shaped when we were younger. So uh, developmental psychology tells us that the most influential years for shaping our mental map, if you will, our idea about the future, uh, are between 11 and 15. So whatever was happening to you when you were 11 to 15 has really shaped your priorities, what you're scared of, what you worry about, what you want. And that shows up in the workplace. So an example would be somebody who's in their late 50s or 60s today uh, in many countries grew up in what we call the boomer era. It was a time when there were a lot of kids cramming themselves into schools that were too small, frankly. There weren't enough classrooms and there weren't enough chairs. And so the mental image that many boomers have is that they live in a world that's too small. It's a zero-sum game. If you get it, I don't. And so this sense of having to always beat the other guy to the next chair is a very normal way for boomers to see the world. Now the next generation, Generation X, kind of people in their 40s and early 50s, late 30s even, they they grew up in a world that had been enlarged for the boomers and now they're suddenly a much smaller generation. They don't have this same sense of scarcity. But for them, what they experienced when they were 11 to 15 is a mistrust of institutions. 
So they saw corporations laying people off, they saw marriages ending in divorce, and for many, their primary thought was, I better be able to take care of myself. This is an uncertain world where institutions are not going to look out for me. So I have to have options, I have to have backup plans. And corporations that try to box that generation in too tightly to say this is what we insist you do are going to lose them because Xers want to feel they're in control, that they, they control the options in their lives. Now, those millennials that sometimes drive some people crazy, uh, they grew up at a time when unquestionably the dominant topic of adult conversation were the random events that were occurring in our world as a result of terrorism. People were going to school and experiencing terrorism. People were going to work. Unexpected, uh, unexplainable kinds of things were happening. Now, if your mental model was that something random might happen tomorrow, I think it's pretty logical to decide that you're going to live your life fully today. And that's the fundamental attitude most millennials take to life. They want to make sure what they're doing today is meaningful and challenging. So I have executives come to me and say, how can I get these young people to do this boring work for two years? I say, I have no idea. I don't think you can. Because they want to know the work you're asking them to do now is meaningful and challenging. So to that extent, I think we really have to recognize and accept that mindset. We have to make work more meaningful and challenging. We have to show them that they're going to learn something by doing this work and that it's going to have an impact on the organization. As leaders, if we can't make that connection, we're not going to be able to tap into that talented generation. I'd never really considered the impact of our formative years as whole cohorts before, and it makes a lot of sense. I'm not quite sure what the impact of the pandemic will be on our 11 to 15 year olds at the moment. But you can imagine that it's going to reinforce that sense of life being short, our health being a priority and the need to create experiences with our family and friends and travel as being part of the new definition of success. We can also see huge social movements of climate change, culture and gender equality and sustainability dialing up even more as our awareness turns into action. So how do we spot leaders for the future in our organisations? And what skills do you think they're going to need for the next decade? This was my next question for Professor Tammy Erickson. If I were looking at uh, identifying people that I wanted to fast track into a leadership position, I would think about three things. The first, quite honestly, is humility. I think one of the most important characteristics of leadership today is the ability to set aside the idea that I personally can come up with all the answers and to recognize that the future of the organization is going to depend on the efforts of the whole. Leaders who can't make that flip should be sidelined. I uh, teach a course at London Business School that's designed for C-level executives. They spend a week with me and we talk about these kinds of issues. And on the first night, I always have dinner with them. 
One of the, couple of years ago, one of the guys at that first dinner made a kind of vicious speech about how he was a very successful leader, he'd been telling people what to do, and somebody had forced him to come to this ridiculous program, and you know, he just didn't believe in it. I'm, I'm so proud to say that by Friday, by the end of the week, he told me I had changed his life. Not just his leadership approach, but his life his whole way of thinking about things, that he no longer had to bear the burden of having those answers, but could adopt the humility of, I'm gonna work with other people. The second thing I would look for is a, maybe it's an overused word, but I think it's a really important concept, and that is authenticity. People who are willing to share a little of themselves, to let people see them, to be human. Um, I have a colleague, Rob Goffey, who talks about why would anyone want to be led by you? And it's a great question. You've got to ask yourself that. Are you the kind of human being who warrants other people putting their trust and faith in you? Would they want to be led by you? That's, a, again, a discretionary decision people make. So as a human being, I think we have to hold ourselves to high standards, high values, uh, authenticity, the ability to share a bit about ourselves to those who are working with us. And the third is, I think you've got to be able to attract great people. You've got to be a magnet. And that comes, again, from the environment you create. It's not necessarily that you personally are charismatic, but that you've engineered an environment where people can do their best work. You, you understand the system dynamics of how various small things affect other things in the way people can work. And you've engineered an environment where great things are happening. So this combination of humility, authenticity and being a cultural architect draws people in, it makes them feel valued and then it draws them together and aligns them against causes that really matter to the organisation and to society. So for Tammy's final insight, I wanted to share a, a clip where she talks about a very provocative question for us all to consider. My advice to corporations is you need to create a place where people want to work, both men and women. And right now, most organizations aren't there. They don't represent that. One of the dirty tricks that I sometimes play on executive teams is I ask them whether they have recommended to their children that they come to work in this organization. And it's quite a funny question because there's usually dead silence and then eventually somebody will say, well, you know, Tammy, my child is very special. And as soon as they say that, pretty soon of three or four others, well, mine's, mine is special too, and mine, and mine. And so now we've established that every member of the executive team has very special children, none of whom of their children would want to work in this organization. And of course, in many ways at that point, my job's done because the point is they know what people want. They know their own kids. They know the kinds of environments their kids would find exciting. 
why don't we translate those into the environments we're creating at work? If your kids are special, my kids are special. If you want to attract people, you've got to create an environment that these special people would want to join. That's such a lovely trap that she snared there, and I can imagine those executives scrambling to justify their answers. A workplace shouldn't be seen as a place where we can talk a good game and then smash and grab and not really care about what happens in five to ten years. That just breeds poor decision making. Tammy urges us to work as though our beautiful, talented, special children are actually going to come and work in our organisation. To make this shift in perspective, we'd have to consider, is our working culture respectful enough? Is it inclusive enough? Is it psychologically and emotionally safe enough to build young people's confidence rather than strip it? Does it offer enough opportunities for personal growth and personal development? Does it have a strong sense of purpose where we can all be incredibly proud of what we do? And is our environment a fun place to spend so much of our time? And if we can all create teams and organisation where it's good enough for our own special kids, then that would be an unbelievable place for everyone else to work as well. Well, that's a great ambition to end with. And I really hope you've enjoyed this mastermind session with Professor Tammy Erickson. I absolutely loved spending time with her. Her interview was has got way more insight. So if you'd like to watch her whole interview or any of the hundred other thought leaders, then visit sportingedge.com and you can either join our Winning Mindset for Leaders program or you can join our Members Club. Either way, we'd love to support your personal and professional development with these incredible insights. If you've got any questions or any ideas for future shows, then please do send them through. And if you'd like a keynote or a leadership workshop for your business, then you can email me at hello at sportingedge.com. But that's it for today. I really hope you've enjoyed this view into the future of leadership. And until next time, good luck. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com.